Welcome to Observations from Life. This is your host, Scott, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for listening in. Okay, um, I'm going to be talking about the Akashic Records today, as well as a little bit of past life um, information. This is something that is I learned about really not a whole long time ago. But when I started looking into past life regressions and things like that, that's when the Akashic Records continue to come up. And what they are is they are these records that are um, kind of this cosmic or spiritual library that basically contains the entirety of information about everything, every thought, every action, every event that's ever occurred past, present, or future. And I know that sounds kind of wild, but just kind of hang with me for a minute, and I think you'll get a good understanding of this. Um, You've heard me talk about the collective unconscious and how we are all tied to one another in some form or fashion, so that all of our experiences, symbols that are shared by humans throughout history, um, the collective human experience and knowledge, that all of this is part of what is the collective unconscious. And it's why things can happen in different parts of the world um, at different time periods and have these running themes. And um, for example, the I think I talked before about the hero's journey, where there's this idea that pops up in a lot of different types of literature and storytelling from ancient times to probably some of the most recent books written. And All of these are because we have within us this connection to symbolism, to um, other people, uh, to our past lives, and possibly even future. It's kind of interesting. I just watched a movie um, while I was flying uh, that was interesting. It was called Past Lives, and the concept of the the movie or the idea of the movie was that these two people had had um, a connection with one another over time and they had um, from when they one of them's family immigrated from South Korea when they were like 12 years old and they reunited a couple of times um, but they never really ended up together but it was kind of interesting because they were talking about this concept in their culture about um, having that tie to one another. And um, I can't, I don't remember the Korean word for it, but it was just this idea that like if you pass somebody even in the market and brush up against them, uh, or if you meet someone for the first time and there's this instant connection that probably there was some previous past life experience together. And I've talked about soul families and other things, and this kind of fits in with that, that we all have these um, um, souls that we travel with in different time periods, in different places. And so this movie kind of touched on that a little bit. But what was interesting was toward the end, um, when they realized that they were not meant to be in this lifetime, uh, the, the man in the movie turned to her and he said, what if this is a past life and we already are together in a future life. 
And so that was very moving for me to hear that and to think about that. And uh, But the Akashic Records kind of tie to that because they have this collective human experience and knowledge. Um, now, various cultures and religious traditions have described them in different ways or things that are similar to them. And, th- and that's something I've I've talked about before, which is if you can find something that tends to kind of land in different religious and cultural uh, belief systems that that have this common thread, that's probably the closer to actual truth that you're getting than looking at just one particular religious or spiritual tradition or one particular culture. Uh, for example, when you read um, about the golden rule, uh, you know, Jesus said to do unto others uh, as you would have them do unto you. And almost every religion, every religious tradition, spiritual tradition has some version of that. And it predated Jesus and it came after Jesus. Um, it's just this idea that holds truth because it's somewhere buried inside of us. And I think that's where the collective unconscious comes in. So how do the Akashic records fit into this? Well, if you look at different um, belief systems, uh, for example, in Hinduism, the Akashic records are known as Akasha or Akashic Chronicle, and they're believed to be this fundamental element or, or of um, or one of the five elements that make up the physical universe. And they are associated with the concept of Akashic intelligence. And so they believe a lot of times that like sages or yogis can access this cosmic knowledge through meditation, and they can kind of tap into the wisdom of the ages. Um, you'll see it in Native American and ind- indigenous cultures. They have similar concepts to the Akashic records. Uh, they believe in a collective spiritual knowledge or wisdom that's passed down through generations, and it's accessible to people who are initiated or spiritually attuned. Uh, even mystical Judaism, uh, they have a concept known as the Hall of Records, which um, is believed to contain the true names of God and the knowledge of creation. And so it's considered a source of profound spiritual insight. It's sometimes associated with the Akashic Records. Uh, Buddhism, they have this concept known as the storehouse consciousness. And that's considered a repository of all thoughts and actions and experiences of sentient beings. And it's interconnected with the collective unconscious. You can look across, you can look at, at, at ancient religion. I mean, I'm sorry, ancient Egyptian religions. Um, I know in, in ancient Egyptian mythology, there's the Hall of Ma'ait. Uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I believe I am. It's a place where the heart of the deceased is weighed against this feather of Ma'ait, M-A apostrophe A-T, which is the goddess of truth and justice. This judgment determines the fate of the soul in the afterlife. And it's seen as a record of a person's deeds and thoughts during their lifetime. Um, Taoism talks about the way, which represents this underlying principle and the source of all existence. And it's believed to contain the inherent wisdom and knowledge of the universe. Um, Finally, Christianity uh, talks about the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And it's mentioned... um, in several places in the book of Revelation, it's believed to contain the names of all those who will inherit eternal life. But, and that's in the Christian belief, but it's a record of everything anybody's ever done. 
And so when you hear all of these different things, now I don't necessarily believe the Christian version that this book is open and some people go to heaven and some people go to hell or whatever, but obviously the the writer of the book of Revelation had some tapping into knowledge of this idea that there is this collective repository that has the Akashic records, whether they use a different name, whether they, in, in a lot of times when you're looking at how different religions and cultures view things, you have to kind of see it that they're looking at it from their particular viewpoint, their particular frame of reference. And so in some cases, it's going to come across more mystical. In other cases, it may come across more as um, um, earth-based. In other cases, it may be something where people believe in uh the ancestors, spirit ancestors, in other cases, it's God. But all of this comes back to this idea that there is this concept of the Akashic Records. And if you tie that to the collective unconscious, which is my argument for how the tarot works, as I talked about in a previous podcast, um, I believe that that collective unconscious also feeds the Akashic Records. Now, what does that mean? That means anybody can access them because we are all connected together in some way to the collective unconscious. And so when you are going to do a past life regression, for example, what you're doing is you're accessing the Akashic records. You're actually going into a state, meditative or whatever, where you're able to look into this huge collective unconscious piece, but you're really going and looking at yourself. Now, there are people that do Akashic record readings for others. In fact, I had one done um, that was very, very fascinating. I'm not going to get into that one today, but uh, by a lady by the name of Debbie Solaris, uh, or Solaris, and she um, did an Akashic record reading because she has spent a lot of time and energy and uh, uh, in her, a lot of her lifetime in understanding how to access these records for other people. Um, I believe people can do that. That's not something I have perfected or even tried, to be honest with you. Um, the only thing I've done is my own accessing of my own records because, um, number one, that's what I was most interested in at the time. Uh, secondly, um, that's probably... Well, that's just what I've been interested in. I wanted to know about my own past lives. But I think the other piece is I just haven't delved into it or dug into it deep enough to start trying to learn how to do readings for other people. Um, I don't see that in my near future. That's not my thing right now. But, you know, who knows? Things change. You never know. So let's talk about the Akashic Records. They are this repository of everything of every thought, every deed, every action. And so if I want to know about a past life, then if I can find a way to guide myself into the Akashic Records, then I can look at previous lives, lives and um, lives. That's not even a plural for life. I can look at pre previous lives and understand or see into several things. One of them is, and where I started first doing this, was really to look at karma. And if I had some karmic debt, that needed to be cleared. 
And um, again, I talk about this in a, in, a, in a couple of other podcasts, so I'm not going to rehash all that. But one of the past lives that I did experience was when, in the 19, I think, 50s, uh, when I was in, uh, I was a child in Arkansas and was killed by a tornado. But part of, of that entire experience and what was really key and revolved around it is my sister was with me, my younger sister, and I was trying to calm her and save her. Um, I was concerned about her, obviously, because she was very terrified. And so uh, we had taken shelter, I believe, in this like a barn or some kind of, uh, I think it was a barn. Um, I have notes around this, and I, it's been a while since I've looked into it. But I, I, when we were there and the tornado was kind of bearing down on us, I was going to leave her and go and try to get help. Um, and by the way, this really happened. I want to be real clear about that. Now, it was a past life reading for myself, but I was even able to go and identify where and when uh, this occurred when I had no access to those dates or locations whenever this experience occurred. Um, So anyway, she did not want me to leave. She was scared, so I stayed there, and we were both killed. That was um, a very striking experience, um, I believe it was my second past life regression, uh, and it was it was pretty scary. Um, and and by doing this, usually the way that one does it is either through deep meditation, or um, if you can, sometimes you can kind of shortcut using theta waves, uh, using like uh, sounds that help evoke theta waves, which can be anything from um, singing bowls to uh, something you can find even on. Spotify or something that you can put on and listen and, and kind of meditate while those sounds take you into a deeper state of relaxation and meditation. Um, okay, so that is what the Akashic Records are. And again, how they work, I believe, is through this collective unconscious because it allows us to access things. And, and I'm going to kind of describe for you what it's like to go through a past life regression. And the way I'm going to describe it is the most recent one that I attempted to do in which I did access the Akashic Records. I had a very um, a different and surprising um, experience, and it involved Emily. And uh, you've heard me talk about her in the last two podcasts, so this will be number three that features her in some form or fashion. And for those of you that have maybe just tuned in and have not been listening to my podcast, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the last two Emily uh, was my daughter who died at age 32 just recently, uh, back in October, and I've had um, several experiences with her, both in um, tarot readings as well as dreams, Uh, so she's still kind of hanging around, and honestly, I kind of thought she was not going to interact with me much more. I felt like we'd kind of gotten some closure, Um, but then this happened, so what happens when you're accessing a past life experience, or let me rephrase that. What happens when you're accessing the Akashic Records, which will allow you to access that past life experience, is when you go into this deep meditative state, you kind of follow this path of, um, and then you could do it in different ways. Let me, let me say that guided imagery, guided meditation, those kind of things, um, if you've done them before, what will happen usually is as the guide is giving you instructions and you're kind of following it, at some point, you kind of stop um, actively 
moving yourself along or actively thinking about things and things just kind of start taking over. Um, I know that's a terrible, terribly vague way of saying it, but the best way I can describe it, if you've ever had a dream and when you first woke up from that dream, I do this a lot, by the way, so I'm assuming other people do. If you don't, then this may sound weird, but sometimes when you first wake up from that dream and you're not quite fully awake yet, Sometimes you kind of continue with the the dream itself. Like you'll, let's say I was dreaming that I was, um, I don't know, I'll make something up. I, I was going to Disneyland, okay? And, and in the dream, I'm at Disneyland and I'm having fun. And I don't know, maybe it's when I was younger and my kids were young or whatever. And then um, I wake up. Sometimes I will kind of continue the like the dream will continue to unfold. And so, and I have a little control. I can kind of interject my, um, you know, which way I want it to go. But generally speaking, my mind is still kind of operating on its own and I'm almost just kind of following along. Um, Meditation, those of you that do meditation or have done meditation, this probably is not a strange concept to you at all. Because when you deeply meditate, when you get down into those theta waves, what will happen is you kind of separate from yourself. It's almost an, an, almost like an out-of-body experience, except you're not floating above looking down on yourself or anything. I guess that could happen, but it's more along the lines of um, just kind of feeling as if um, you're watching yourself or you're watching your thoughts or you're watching the images that are coming to you, but you're not actively invoking those images. So now let me try to describe this. Usually with an access to the Akashic Records, you will follow some guided meditation initially. If you've never done it before, then it's absolutely necessary because otherwise you're not really going to know what you're doing. But then as you are following those, um, what will happen is when you get further and kind of deeper in your meditative state, the images just kind of start taking on a life of themselves. And so, for example, um, I did one particular one to um, try to meet my guardian angel to see if I had, you know, a guardian angel, which I believe everybody does, but to um, meet that person. And during that particular period, when I went through the guided meditation, at some point, the person doing the guiding stops talking and my brain keeps working. And I was able to see things that images were coming to me actions were coming to me and I was not having to create them. They were being created or it's like I was watching it or experiencing it. Um, it's like that with the Akashic records as well. And so during the, 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 the meditative part, usually you're going to have some kind of description of what you're looking for. And so I think a lot of people, for example, will see the Akashic records differently because they're not visual. They're unconscious they're a part of the collective unconscious. And so where I may see a hallway with doors, uh, somebody in a, a different location may see something completely different. They may see uh, television screens or they may see um, a, a temple with doors or they may see something else. So it's, it's, it's not the physical description that is significant. It's what the experience is. So... In doing this meditation, or I mean, in doing this 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 uh, regression, um, I was 
I, I don't know if it's really cheating, but I was using some theta wave um, uh, thing that uh, sounds that will invoke theta waves, so I didn't have to spend a lot of time trying to get into a meditative state. And um, for me, the 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 hall of these records is like a I don't know. It's a hallway with doors all over it, and these different doors represent different people, different souls in their lives. So um, when I entered the one that's mine, um, there's a there's things all over the walls like papers, just pla- like the it's almost like the walls are papered up with notebook paper. That has all kinds of writings, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Vietnamese, English, uh, Spanish, French, whatever, uh, a lot of which I can't read, but I, I can see it and I can recognize some of the writing. Um, and there's a pedestal that has a book on it. Um, the best description I can get give for that is if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movie, uh, the, the movies, um, I believe it's in the first one, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, they go down into the uh, mines of Moria. And while there, they find this book that's kind of on this pedestal and there's light shining down and it's, it's a recording of what had happened in the mines. That's kind of the image that I have, except I'm not in a mine, I'm in a room. And, and so it's not quite as, um, um, dungeon looking as, uh, it was in the, in the movie, but, there's this book and usually there's, you know, you've asked your spirit guides, your guardian angel, whoever to be there with you. And what you can do is you, when you approach the book, you can ask them to show you what it is you need to know for right now. And that's how I was able to learn about my previous lives in different ways, because I never know what's going to be opened. Like, I don't know. It's not one of those things where I say, okay, I want to go back to the 1700s. Did I have a life then? What did it look like? It's more of me asking, you know, what is there for me and starting to look into this book. And the page just unfolds before you. And the visuals unfold before you. And you are there. So that was how I had the experience as a child uh, in Arkansas. So this time when I was really just wanting something new or different or just to kind of learn more if there's any karmic debt I have that I need to work out, you know, what's, what's a life that I can access? Well, what I was guided to was that life in Arkansas again. And it was before, obviously, I had been killed. And I was there with my little sister, um, like at my home, at our home where we lived. And then I detected there was a presence in the room, not in the 1950s in Arkansas, but in the Akashic Record room. I could tell that there was a presence there that was not normally there. And as I was noting that, so I'm kind of looking at the book and I'm noticing that I, I realized that it is Emily. She's there with me. And uh, she's very ethereal. I can't really see her. It's more like I know she's there. I'm aware of her presence. There's kind of this, um, and I can hear her speaking in my thoughts. And it's a very calm, um, composed voice that I'm hearing sort of hearing in my thoughts it's hard to it's it's almost like she was um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, when when somebody is uh, like telep like telepathy, like I could, I was aware of her speaking, but I wasn't hearing an external voice. And um, but it was a voice I could hear in my head, and it was very. It, it, I'm going to make a Lord of the Rings reference again. It was almost like Galadriel's voice, like where she had this very uh, not commanding, but she was definitely calm and um a, like a, she she was in a place where she was guiding me and talking to me so i don't want to say authority that's not really the right word but but a, like as a wiser um older soul like i was very aware of that it was not the the girl that would you know call me and and be upset because something went wrong and I'm trying to help her out or talking about her job or how she can do, you know, something, you know, better or different or whatever. It, it was this instead, this, this experience of her, you know, really comforting me and talking to me. And so I asked her why she was there and uh, she said, look. And so I looked, I, I knew what she meant look at the book and what I saw, it, it's almost like images coming to life. Like you dive into the book and, and I was back in Arkansas. I was a kid. It, it my sense is this was probably within even the day of, or within a, a couple of days of when um, the tornado killed me and my sister. And I realized at that moment that Emily was my sister in that life. And that kind of rocked me back a little bit, although that's not surprising because soul families work that way. Um, who somebody that may be my child in this life may be my brother in the next or my father or anything else. And so, um, which is, you know, that's how soul families travel. But I realized that she was my sister that I tried to save and couldn't. And I looked at her. I looked up where I sensed she was. And I said, why? I said, why am I always trying to save you and failing? Because after she died, I really felt, you know, I mean, I think like any parent would, while she was in the hospital, you're just trying to will her to health you're trying to will her back you know to to being with you and you feel like you you're helpless just like when i was facing a tornado that was much larger than i could ever handle trying to save my little sister who was her and i felt helpless and so i asked her that and by the way this was a very emotional experience i was crying while i was talking to her i said why i said, is this Am I always going to be trying to save you? Is, is, is like, why does this keep happening? And she very calmly, sweetly said, it's, it was never your job to save me. And that was, that was a lot. Just in that statement, that was a tough one because as a father, having your daughter who has now passed from this life 
tell you that it was never your job. It let me off the hook a little bit in terms of feeling like I could have done something. But it also was, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not what you want to hear because you want to be the hero. You want to be your child's hero. And Emily often spoke very highly of me and she would tell me that how much that she loved when she would hear from me, she knew everything was going to be okay. That's what she would tell me. And so she is now in this period of time that she has a lot of access to a lot more information than I have. And she's a lot more whole and she is, uh, has perspective. And that was the first thing she told me. It was not my job to save her. She went on to say, um, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, Oh, I asked her, I said, why does this keep happening then? And is this going to continue to happen? And I said, why, you know, am I always going to be in this position? And she kind of chuckled and she said, it's not always about you. And I just kind of, it's kind of weird to talk to your daughter who you've always been the wise one. And they've always been the one seeking your counsel to have her telling me it's not always about you. Have her be the wise one who's giving me counsel. And I was like, oh. And I thought a lot about how we live. We, all of us, all of you listening. We always think it's about us. We think everything around us is, is, and, and we may not verbally say it. We may not consciously think it, but we live as if everything around us is about us. That's so common. Um, somebody cut me off driving, cuts in front of me, and I think, you know, why are they treating me that way? They don't even know who I'm, I am. They're in their own world. And yet we personalize so often. But she was telling me this on a bigger level, like it telling on a cosmic spiritual level, it's not always about you. When she's having her experience, her life, and the people around me are having their lives and their experience, and I'm trying to give counsel or help or, or lead or whatever, it's a good reminder that everybody has their own journey. Everybody's doing their own seeking and has their own rich, developed way of looking at things, even if they don't always appear to. And we as spiritual leaders, and I do consider myself on some level a spiritual leader because I think that's what I've been called to do. Now, who am I leading? Eh, Probably nobody right now. Um, But it's always been a focus of mine, and it will continue to be so, that I want to help bring good things to humanity. I want to see humankind develop and, and be better. And so when I have opportunities to step up and be a part of that, I want to do that. But I also need to be reminded that it's not always about me. And if you think about priests, pastors, lead, and, and again, I, you know, I'm not picking on Christianity today at all, but when you see leaders of religious groups, and they don't have to be Christian, it could be some non-Christian group. It's just I know what I'm most familiar with. Sometimes it becomes about the person instead of about the people. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual concept. You see that with 
politics, you see it with jobs, you see it in families where the person that is kind of the leader, it becomes about them and everything becomes about them. And that's just not a healthy spiritual way to grow because if everything, if I have a spiritual leader in my life, whether it's a teacher or a pastor or a whatever you want to call them, a shaman, anything, and everything starts becoming about them and what they want and me seeking everything from them and trying to please them and trying to live the way that they say to live instead of stopping and looking at my own journey and my own self, then it becomes about them and not me. And that's giving them too much power. And I I, I think everybody, all of us have within us this power to grow spiritually and to grow in a way that is how we're meant to. But we got to realize that that's our responsibility for ourselves. So me trying, whether it was Emily as a child or Emily as an adult, to lead or tell her how to live or try to save her or whatever, it's not really about me. That's Emily's journey. It's her choices. And so hearing her talk about that, telling me, number one, it wasn't my job to save her, but number two, um, she kind of was telling me to quit making it about me. Quit making my pain about me. Quit making everything about myself because there's so much more. And there's so many other people that have been touched and people that are involved. And, you know, it, it's just this, this, I think we all have this need sometimes to be, um, for, for the whole cosmic universe to revolve around us because we have to have a purpose in life and we have to know what that is and then grab on it and then do it. And I do believe that. But sometimes our purpose is to not make everything about ourselves. It's about service. It's about loving others. It's about kindness. It's about empathy. It's about compassion. And all those are things that we give to other people. Unconditional love. It's not about what we can get from others. It's not about saving someone to make ourselves feel better. It's not about doing things so that we can glory in our spiritual uh, growth. It's about how we can give to others and, and, and serve them. And so to me, as a, when I use the term spiritual leader, I really think that is a calling of service, not of of you know, leadership, uh, of being in charge. So I'm standing there in the room. Emily's there with me. Um, and I, I asked her, I said, is, is this it? Like I was, is this the last time we're going to talk? Cause I just desperately did not want this conversation to end. And, and, and we, there was more to it, but it's kind of like, and if you've ever seen the movie, um, oh, the movie about the dreams, I'm drawing a blank right now. I'll pull it up. Um, but if you have ever noticed, like you can have a dream that's only about three minutes long, but it covers a year. Um, is it Inception? I think it was Inception. Yeah. Um, where the idea of of in your dreams times passes much more slowly in the real world while in your dream it passes more quickly. That's kind of what was happening here in that I was in this meditative state 
and interacting with her, not for a real long time, but it felt like a lot of time had passed. And although I'm only giving you snippets of, of kind of the main things that she said, it felt like that we were there a lot longer. Uh, but I asked her, I said, it, is this the last time we're going to talk? Is this it? Because I don't want this to end. And she said, I'll always be there. And that was a pretty big thing for me because that phrase has been a part of my spiritual journey with my spirit God who said, I've always been there. Um, and even as I was growing up in Christianity, there was this concept where Jesus said that he would be with us till the ends of the earth. And so this idea of always being there, always being together, of having this tie to someone, uh, it's important to me because it's something that's been a running theme in my life. Um, And so when she said that, of course, I'm crying at this point. um, But when she said that, it, it was a huge comfort to me. And I don't know if she meant now, if she meant in the next life. I, I don't know because it wasn't that important. What was important is that connection's always going to be there. So if you have people in your life that you've lost, that doesn't mean that you've interacted with them for the last time. It doesn't mean that your relationship has ended. It just means that for now you're going through a period where you're not together. And that's hard. When I spoke at Emily's funeral, I made a point to say, I know that the soul is eternal, but I have to, and I don't remember exactly how I said it now, but I have to basically finish the rest of this life without you. And that's hard. But then I realized during this period when I was doing this Akashic Record um, experience, she's still around. She's still there. And so it's not completely over. That relationship doesn't break because our souls are tied together. If you're in a soul family with somebody and other people come and go, it's not like you only... Um, travel with your soul family through each lifetime or anything. And I think there's times where people that are in your soul family may not be around for the next life or two. There's other things that they have to do or or need to work on. Um, But we are so tied to one another and we have such a connection with each other that if you have people in your life that are truly significant, then you you understand this. You know that if they have died you can still tell there's those moments when they're there. There's times where you can feel it. There's times where something happens and they come to mind. There's times that I've, I've, I've heard people talk about how sometimes um, they will smell like their, their grandfather who, who smoked a pipe. They will smell that scent just briefly or they'll hear something and they know he's there. And That to me is so incredible because it's a constant reminder that we're not even really physical beings. You know, when people talk about the supernatural, they they talk about it like it's some unnatural thing. But the reality is we are primarily spiritual beings. 
and we inhabit a physical body. And so we're all kind of connected out there. Even those of us that are not in the soul family together, even somebody listening right now to this podcast that may have never met me, we're connecting. And that to me is really, really important because it's what's going to help all of us to find that common theme, those things in our lives that we can do something to raise the vibration of this of, of this world that we can help humankind be better so that we reach a state that war is no longer the answer, that violence is no longer an answer, that the disparity we see in, in whether it's money or opportunity or whatever is no longer an issue. And, and yeah, this is sounds like pie in the sky kind of stuff, but what choice do we have but to try to achieve that? And once we do, it's going to be so amazing. So that all ties back to, again, the collective unconscious and the fact that we're all part of this bigger piece. And when I think about that, and I know that Emily, not physically here, still has her living soul dropping in when she needs to, talking to me when I need it. And others, I've spoken to other people that have heard from her. Um, that's a big deal because it makes this life important and it makes all of our actions that we do important because we're contributing to the Akashic Records and we're contributing to humankind. But it also makes the concept of future lives and other things important, which means that you, you, you want to do things so you don't create that karmic debt. You don't want to be a selfish, ugly person here so that you have to work out in your next life how you wronged people and what you did to them. Instead, what you want to do is continue to build on the beauty of your past lives and toward the beauty of your future ones. And sometimes I get irritated with people that are like, eh, I don't care about this world. I just want to go to heaven or whatever. And because, you know, there's, there's people suffering right now that need our attention. There's people that are hurting right now that need our attention. So we need to not sit there with our head in the clouds waiting for some, you know, supernatural intervention, but to be very um, on the earth, present and doing for others. But I think we also need to realize that when we do those things, those are spiritual acts. They're not just physical acts. And so when you feed someone, when you clothe someone, when you help someone, when you're just a listening ear, you're giving emotional or physical or, or whatever support. You may be building on that Maslow's hierarchy at the bottom, but it's a spiritual act and it's soul fulfilling and it touches their soul as well as yours. And you're connected, whether it's for a moment or a lifetime or multiple lifetimes, you're connected to each other. And that's important. That's my take on the Akashic Records and my recent experience when accessing them, uh, what happened. And it's, it was pretty powerful. And I hope to continue to learn from it. If Emily and I are in the next life together, 
I hope that the lesson that I take, that my soul knows as I come in, is um, that I'm not here to save her, but instead to love her and experience life with her and vice versa. So until next time, thank you for listening. Well, that's another episode of Observations from Life. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out my website at www.obsfromlife.com. You can find information on past episodes, people who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a merch store. Until next time, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening.